Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. And today, we're going to do that one of my favorite ways, which is via a sermon review. And let me just address, do you hear, I don't know if you can hear that on the mic, I got a new chair and it squeaks like crazy, but you don't care, you're not here. You're not here to hear about my chair squeaks. You're here to learn about the Bible and sermons and stuff. So if you're new to all of that, let me explain what a sermon review is, because maybe you don't know. Well, each week we work through a variety of different pastors and a variety of different sermons from a variety of different churches, sometimes suggested by you, most of the time suggested by you. Sometimes I want to look at a certain person. So we do today, though, we're going to be looking at Pastor Bobby Blakey. You probably never heard of him. I never heard of him, but somebody sent him in when I asked for like really good pastors that expound the scripture and teach the gospel well. Somebody sent Bobby in. So we're going to look at Pastor Bobby today. Now, full disclosure, guys, it has been a busy time. I am currently editing the next uh, the next Making of a Minister uh, video essay. I'm not going to tell you on who that is yet, but it's been busy. So I haven't been able to watch this already. It is an hour long. So man... Woo! Let's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long this review is going to go. The sermon itself is an hour long. So we're going to see how this goes. Now, as I said, in case you're new, you might wonder what we're doing. Yeah, we're looking at a different pastor from a different church, but why? Well, each week we look at a variety of different sermons from pastors for one specific reason. We ask three questions, and these are three questions that I think you should ask of any pastor that preaches ever is, do they read the text? Do they exegete that text using context and culture? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a pretty low bar, but it's a good bar. It's things you should ask. Now, if you want to do that on all the sermons that you either listen to at your own church or that you watch online, down below in the description, there's a free PDF guide that we're going to help. It's going to help you do that each week. I use it every week in my church. I use it when I try to prepare my sermons as well to make sure I'm hitting all of the places I should hit. And that's down there for free for you. Now, if you want to support, there's also some links down there to support uh, via Patreon, or you could just subscribe and like. Subscribe and like, they're free. Likes are free. So if you think you're going to like it, go ahead and click that like. That's going to help us a little bit. Spread this to other people. So that being said, let's get cranking over here on the view screen and see what we can do. Let's go ahead and get into a Campus Bible Church. Pastor Bobby Blakey. His sermon is called Encouragement for Every Christian. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. And we're only dealing with verses 8 through 12. So <laughs> I, I laugh because it's 8 through 12 and it's an hour long. So, man, we, we are either in for a very long sermon full of stories or some deep expository preaching. So let's see which we get. Let's go. Um, I think let's go. I don't know. That's maybe let's go. Um, what is going on, man? There's all sorts of things happening on this end. Oh, man. All right, technical difficulties. Let's try this one more time. Yeah, it didn't work that time either. <laughs> Here we go. Hello, Compass Bible Church! Hey, does anybody remember me? Does anybody know who I am? Hey, it's great to see all of you. If you don't know who I am, I used to be one of the pastors here, and in 2014, they sent a team of us up to North County to Huntington Beach. I got my hard hat on here because I'm here to give you a praise report. Jesus is building his church in Huntington Beach. Happy to let you know. While you guys were here on Easter worshiping Jesus, there were over 2,000 souls celebrating the resurrection at Compass HB. So we can praise the Lord for that. 
If you ever want to come visit us in Huntington Beach, the city has officially changed the name of the street our church meets on to Revival Circle. That's the name of our street. Just plug that into Google. You'll find us, right? I mean, Revival's an awesome camp every week during the summer. Now it's a street where we're doing church 365 days of the year. Yeah, and so uh, we have have hard hats right now because we are building a double-sized auditorium. We are right now in the midst. God has provided space and money to build an auditorium that's just about this big in Huntington Beach. Double the size of what we have now. So we call it the Double Double Project. If you want to pray for us, it's the Double Double Project. It's, it's delicious. And what it is, is it's... Uh, we- I don't know how to take him yet. <laughs> I don't know if he's fun or if he's like... I don't. I, he seems fun. He does seem fun. Let, let's keep going. We want to double the auditorium size in Huntington Beach, and then we want to double and plant a church in Long Beach. And so we know how Pastor Mike loves being a grandpa, and we know that he wants to be a church-planting grandpa. And so the goal is we are right now working to assemble the team. We don't have a... So uh, one of the things from not, so not watching this, I don't know how much of this is announcement, but one of the good things is that churches should be planting other churches, right? I mean, that... that ideally is the goal, that is the New Testament model, is to grow to a certain size and then say, hey, we need to send people out to plant another church somewhere. We don't need to want to become some big mega church. Now, they do sound like they're rather large. I mean, they're talking about building auditoriums, but this, the, the idea still stands that you get to a point where you go, we need to go out and plant churches. And then hopefully your churches that you plant, plant churches too. Like that's a good New Testament model. Date of a first service yet, but we have a team that is getting ready to go and plant another Compass Bible Church in Long Beach into LA County. So you can pray for that. It is in the works. But I have been called back to encourage you, in fact, to show you there is encouragement for every Christian. So if you could open your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, that will be our text that we're here to look at together, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. And out of respect for God's word, I'm actually going to ask if we could all stand up for the public reading of scripture. This is not something I came up with this week. This is the very word of God. This is worthy of your full and undivided attention. So let's pay attention to what Paul wrote, what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Please follow along as I read. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. You know, one of the things that's nice, just... just 
it's a little thing, but it, 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 it makes a huge difference is emphasizing the scriptures as you read them, right? Not just dry reading it. Like I, I pray to God day and night, like he emphasized the words there, which again, it's such a small thing, but it really brings across like the, the tone and the tenor of what the original writer was trying to get at. And in classic Pauline fashion here in Romans 1a, he says first, and he never gets to a second, if you know how Paul gets into it, right? So well, what I want you to see is that when Paul thought about a church, when he thought about a group of believers, there is a, there is a way that he was trained in his brain to think about these people. And I want to make sure that you and I are thinking this same way about our brothers and sisters in Christ, our one another's, the people that you share life with, your fellowship group, your Bible study, your one-on-one -on -one partner. Like I want to make sure that we think the right way about one another like Paul thinks about this church in Rome. Because Paul has a passion to go to Rome and see these people. In fact, turn over to Romans 15, just to set the context here. Let's just jump ahead to the... So one of the things, and we've always said this, but anytime they direct you to scripture, go there. If you have notes, such as our free PDF sermon review guide, there's places to write those notes down. So we're going to be going to Romans chapter 15. The end of the book of Romans, where he, he's never been there before. He clearly wants to go there. Rome being the capital city of the empire, the Roman Empire, so the, the main hub of the world at this time was Rome, and he wants to get there. You can see if you look at chapter 16 of Romans, he greets a lot of people. So a lot of people that he knows have moved to Rome and are a part of this church, but look what he says in Romans 15 verse 30, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he's asking for them to pray for him. I need you guys to really pray for me that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he says, you guys got to pray. I'm going to Jerusalem. There's some people there who are coming after me. I need to be delivered from them. And then I need to encourage the saints in Jerusalem. And after I go to Jerusalem, I want to go see you in Rome. Will you pray that I get to come and see you? I want to find joy in your company. I want to encourage you and you can encourage me. This is... Okay, I'm just going to say it real quick. I don't think I'm going to be really interrupting him a lot. Like, I still think this will be beneficial for us to watch through, but already six minutes in, it's pretty apparent that we are going to be in the text. We've got some context. We've read the section, our main section, which is chapter one, verses eight through 12. He's given us some further context going on later in the chapter. We have been completely rooted in this the entire time uh, that we've begun within the introduction. I mean, these are all things that are good. And most importantly, he's passionate about it. Not most importantly, but a, a good sign here is that he's passionate about the text, right? He wants the people he's speaking to, to know about what the word of God says. Um, and that's, that's great because that energy, again, 
This is not about being able to entertain people or be energetic, but when you love the scriptures, that comes across and that makes it easier to listen to, if that makes sense. Like you, you're, you're engaged by it because it's not boring and dry. Like you, you can tell that Bobby seems at least six minutes in, I don't want to prejudge, but he loves the scriptures and he wants the people he's talking to, to know about this Jesus and love the scriptures as well. So I'm just making a prediction. I don't think I'm going to have to break in a lot here, but we'll see. This is prayer. So he's writing Romans. Romans is different. Out of Paul's 13 letters, Romans is first, not only in its position in the canon, Romans just gets talked about more than any other letter that Paul wrote. Why is that? Have you ever thought about what makes Romans unique out of all the letters that he writes? Most of Paul's letters are to churches that he planted or one of his ministry partners planted or he's writing to people he's done ministry with, to people that he knows. When he writes to the church in Rome, he's never been there yet. In fact, he's wanted to be there, but he's never been able to get there. So it's like he puts in Romans what he would teach them if he got there. So Romans is Paul's master class on the gospel. It's like if Paul came to town and you got to hear his teaching, the book of Romans is like taking you through his teaching for the first time. And he's like, I got to get there. But because he can't get there, he puts all his teaching down uh, to build these people up in their faith. But his goal is still to get there. Now, you guys right now, Pastor Mike is preaching through the book of Acts. I think the last passage you just looked at was Acts 18.22. So a couple of, if you are taking notes, and we got a handout there in the bulletin, if you want to jot some notes down, you can write down Acts 19.21. When you guys get there, Paul is going to resolve in his spirit. Ah, not only do you offer notes, he's tying this all together. I mean, this, this is thought out. I know what you guys are talking about. I know what you're going through. Hey, when you get here, this is going to tie in. So just like take a note of it, think about it, be prepared for it. Mm, it's good stuff. I have the power of the spirit. He's going to go to Jerusalem and then he's going to go to Rome. And so from that moment on in Acts 19, 21, the whole rest of Acts all the way to chapter 28 is Paul's long and complicated journey to get to Rome. He has a passion to go to this church and encourage these people and preach the gospel in the city of Rome. And so you're going to see that's really what the whole book of Acts, the whole last quarter, the fourth quarter of the book of Acts becomes all about Paul going to Rome to see these people. And in Acts 21, 17, he gets to Jerusalem. So in 1921, he sets his face. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to go to Rome. Well, in 2117, he gets to Jerusalem. So that means he writes Romans somewhere between Acts 1921 and Acts 2117. He wrote this letter asking for their prayers because he knows he's going to Jerusalem and it's going to be rough, but he really wants to get there to see them. And so go back now to Romans chapter 1. That's just a little bit of the context. That chef's kiss. That was, that was great. That was amazing. That was perfect. That's exactly what you should do. I know we're only 10 minutes in. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it already. This is going to be a great sermon. It's going to be great. Just sit back because you're probably not going to hear me talk a lot. This is going to be us, us watching Bobby together and me pulling out things that you already know are good. But this is what we're doing, guys. This is what we're doing. I'm going to call it. This is, this is going to be a good sermon. It's going to be good. I'm just going to, just based off the introduction and context, 
I think this is going to be really good. And what is this first thing that Paul wants to say to them? You can see the introduction here in Romans. The greeting is long. It's seven verses because he includes the entire gospel in his greeting to the church. And the verses that we're going to look at in Romans 1, 8 to 12, they're what I like to call flyover verses. Like these aren't anybody's favorite verses, you know. These aren't famous verses. And if you're not careful, you'll start reading the Bible. Your eyes will just fly over a lot of verses on their way to the verses you already know and love. I mean, Romans 1.16, that is the big verse that is famous. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We, we've heard, if you've gone to church at all, you've heard that verse. But you know that Paul, he's a church planner. He's an evangelist. He believes the gospel is God's power to save people. But the book of Romans doesn't start in chapter 1, verse 16. Now, before he gets to the gospel and its mighty power to save, he wants to thank God for people who are already saved. Look back at verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So when Paul thinks about somebody he knows that's a believer in Jesus, when he's writing to these churches, first thing that comes in to Paul's thought process when he thinks about that person is he thanks God that that person got saved. He thanks God that they have a new life in Jesus Christ, that they have gone from being dead in their sin to alive in Jesus. First step, oh, there's my brother, there's my sister, my fellow Christian. First thing that happens in Paul's mind, I thank God for your faith. Let's get that down for point number one. If you are taking notes, as you consider your brothers and sisters in Christ, number one, thank God for their faith. Who do you know that believed in Jesus? Who do you know? Maybe they're in your fellowship group. Maybe they're in your Bible study. You would say, these are my one and others. These are my brothers or my sisters in the faith. When was the last time when you thought about them, your mind immediately went, oh God, thank you so much for saving so-and-so. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for adopting so-and-so to be my brother or sister in Christ. Like, do you see the work of salvation for the miracle it is that God has done something mighty to save someone. Has there any, ever been anybody in your life and you were praying for them to get saved, a family member, a friend of yours, and you were begging God to save them and they were hard-hearted, they didn't want to hear it, and then all of a sudden, God breaks through and he totally turns them around. He gives them a new heart. He puts his spirit within them. They're a new creation in Christ. No longer who they used to be. Now living a whole new life. Did you thank God when that person was saved? Has that ever happened to you where you were praying for somebody and God saved them and you couldn't believe it? You were like, wow, God, what an awesome thing. Do you realize that God did that same awesome thing with every single one of us who has been saved? Don't take God's people for granted. The only way anybody gets to Jesus is by grace and grace alone. We should thank God. Anybody you know that has faith, you should regularly be thanking God for saving that person. I can't even tell you guys how encouraging it is for me nine years later to come back here and get to do church with you this weekend. Are you kidding me? Joseph's now the worship leader down here? Are you kidding me? That guy was a freshman in high school when I was hanging out with him. 
Nathan's a pastor now? What's going on around here, you guys? We got Nelson hitting the drums over here. We got Colin slapping the bass. I mean, I know all these bros from back in the day. They were students. Now they're dads. They're worship leaders. That's something to be I know this doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but that does have something to be said about the church, right? If you have people that were students in the church that are still there, that are, that are I mean, again, not that like you have to be, you know, within ministry in the church to mean anything, but the fact that like they're in the church serving in different capacities, right? And then if that's the case, there's probably people that were students there that are now ju- that, that are congregants, that are small group leaders, that are volunteers within the church, that are doing something within the church. Um, I mean that that that's a faithful church. That is what that, that's a family of God being brought up and built up and grown up together. Like that's what you want, right? You want rooted people that love Jesus, that have loved Jesus for a long time in that church that, that, that can tell you story. I mean, stories like he's telling, like, Hey, like when I was here, this dude was picking his nose in the back, but now he's doing this. Like I can see what God's done for him, right. In him and through him. And so like that, I just, I think if you have a church like that, I, I currently go to a church like that. Haven't always gone to a church like that. Like, don't take that for granted. That. I'm telling you, that is a rare thing, unfortunately. But the fact that you, he can say that about that church um, is, is, is amazing. So I mean, just a side note there. They're pastors. I thank God for their faith when I come back here to Compass Bible Church, Aliso Viejo. Praise God for saving these guys. They're not even young men anymore. They're like leading this church. Like who's doing worship in the service? Joseph Lopez. What? The the students have taken over this place. This is awesome. I mean, this is a remarkable thing that is happening. God is saving people, and they are continuing in the faith. Because if you've gone to church for any amount of time, you know that not everybody who starts out on the race with Jesus, not everybody finishes. I mean, if you've gone to church for any length of time, you found yourself running for Jesus, he saved you, and you're living your new life, and you look over your shoulder, and there's your bro or or your sister, and you become friends. You become more than friends. You become family through the blood of Christ. And your mind, in your mind, you're going to run all the way till you see Jesus, all the way till you get to heaven. We're going to be friends, being Christians together for the... I'll just tell you this now. If you're listening or watching this, I mean, you know, hopefully, hopefully you know this. <laughs> I don't do this for the views or anything else. I, If you want to go just watch this sermon, link, as always, will be down in the description. You can just go watch the sermon. I don't know how much value, honestly, I'm going to give you in this. If you want to watch along with me through this sermon... Hopefully I can offer you something here, but man, like we're 15 minutes in, we got 45 minutes left. Everything up to this point has been great. I can only imagine this is going to keep, keep doing great. I'm going to, I'm going to try to point out things that are just like so encouraging and so good and so helpful. Um, cause I really, I, for, I don't, I forget who sent me this, but whoever this was that sent me pastor Bobby Blakely, honestly, good choice, <laughs> good choice. Um, again, I don't want to base an entire man's ministry off of 15 minutes, but you can tell a lot from a person's sermon in 15 minutes. Let's keep going. The rest of our lives will encourage one another. If you've been at church, you've seen somebody who was right there with you, and then they went out up from us because they were not of us. I mean, am I speaking to anybody? Has your heart been broken when your brother or sister 
fell away from the faith? See, you should be not taking God's people for granted, not just, oh yeah, there, there will always be a church there, there will always be people to fellowship with there. No, thank God for the people he is saving. Thank God for giving them faith. I wish I could introduce you to so many people from Compass HB. Like, we have seen Jesus save so many people up there in Huntington Beach over the last nine years. Like, I can't even walk around church without thinking, oh, God, thank you for saving that person. Thank you for saving... Wow, I remember when you saved that person. I do want to tell you about one person that God saved. His name was Brad. And Brad, I connected with this guy right when I met him because he used to be a youth pastor, just like I was the youth pastor here for eight years Well, he used to be a youth pastor up in Long Beach, and he wasn't even going to church when I met him. He was working at a brewery in Long Beach. And when I met this guy, Brad, he was pretty much mad at the world. He was a very kind of hostile guy. His friend invited him to our church. I started meeting with him and sharing the gospel with Brad. I started doing marriage counseling with him and his wife. I remember one day we were talking, and Brad, in anger, just walked right out of the meeting, walked right out of the church. I remember I would schedule meetings with Brad, and I'd look on my calendar. Oh, I'm meeting with Brad at that day, at that time. I'm not sure if that's really going to happen. I mean, this guy, he just seemed like he he was like bent at the world. I didn't know what was going to go on. And then God did something in this man's life, and he went under some of the deepest conviction I've ever seen from anybody. He, He started seeing himself as a wretched sinner. He started seeing himself as someone unworthy. Like he understood that God would be right to judge him for his sins to the point where he didn't even think he was worthy of being saved. And I had to come now and be like, no, Brad, Jesus paid it all. No, no, it's already like you can be saved. It's by grace. God does the work. And I'm trying to encourage him because he's so convicted of his sin. He doesn't even think a sinner like him could get saved. And then one day, God does this amazing miracle, and he changes Brad's life around. And Brad goes from this mad guy to the, like we now call Brad the nicest person at our church. Like if you just go up to our church any day, just walk in there and be like, who is the nicest person at this church? They will take you straight to Brad. Everybody knows it. I mean, he, he now does what I like to refer to as spiritual stalking. Like he's looking for new people every Sunday. He's looking for the visitors. He's figuring out where they're sitting, where their car is, and he is inserting himself in between those two points. And he's going to come, and he's going to smile at you and shake your hand. He's going to invite you over to his house where he and his wife and their kids and their happy, God-glorifying family will be happy to share with you the good news of Jesus that radically changed his life. And I thank God for Brad's faith, see? That Brad was... So here is one thing I will add, right? So what we talk about a lot, what I talk about a lot on this channel when we do sermon reviews is that oftentimes there are stories that are inserted that are unnecessary, that are unhelpful, that take away ultimately from the point you're trying to make. That was a good example of a story that not only personalized what was happening, but went perfectly along with the point he's trying to make. So stories are not bad to be inserted. They're not, they're not terrible things to use. They're actually really good connected tools if used well. And what we just saw Bobby do here, Pastor Bobby do, is take a, 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 a very close story to his heart, use it as a connective bridge to the first verse here and say, hey, if you want to know what like 
just, you know, it looks like to appreciate other believers, right? Let me tell you about Brad. And so he takes a verse that he's already admitted is a flyover verse anyway that we just ignore, just dug a ditch really deep in front of it and says, no, come here. Let me explain what I what what Paul is saying here and how it applies to you directly. And then brings in the story of Brad and says like, hey, you need to come meet Brad, right? I mean, and that is a great example of it really reinforcing the verse that he's he's trying to exegete telling you like, no, this isn't just a, hey, appreciate them. It's like, this is what happened to Brad. And then making it very real. It's not like that, but now he is. And it was, but God, that's why Brad's the nicest guy at our church. And so when you know somebody who's saved, they didn't get born saved. They got born again saved. And that's a work that God did. And our go-to response needs to be, thank you, God, so much their faith. Thank you for saving them. Thank you that I have this brother or sister. Are you taking God's people for granted, or are you making sure that you thank God for them? Now, look at Romans 1 verse 8. First step is I thank God for all of you, and, and we'll look at a few of his other letters, but in nine of his 13 letters, he begins by thanking God for their faith. The only four letters he doesn't get right to that are, are letters where there's big problems, like 2 Corinthians, where Paul was feeling like he was going to die. He doesn't start like that. Galatians, where he thought they had abandoned the gospel for works. He doesn't start like that. And then 1 Timothy and Titus, he wants them to go appoint some elders and make sure those churches are in order. But every other letter, nine out of 13 letters, what's the first thing Paul wants to say? I thank God for you so much. And that was his immediate response when he thought about that church and those brothers and sisters. Oh, God, thank you for them. Thank you for their faith. And then do you see what he did, too? It wasn't, hey, this happened somewhere. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, just believe me that it's not in these letters. Like he walked you through very quickly, but very purposefully in proving that, no, like this is his go to. And if it's not, there's a reason for it. And that's just a slight but very important thing that we talk about a lot where we reference something, but we don't actually like give you know, some sort of um, notes that you go check me on it. He just gave you a whole bunch of go check me on it. Every letter but these letters, he says, he thanks God for these people. And if you don't believe me, go check me on it. Notice the thought continues right into our second point. Look at verse nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. And here in verse 10, He's specifically asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He has a specific prayer that he's going to go and encourage them, mutual encouragement with these brothers and sisters at the church in Rome. But you see, first step, I thank God for you. Second step, he just starts praying for them right away. The thanksgiving turns into a prayer. And so let's get that down for point number two. If you are taking notes, you want to thank God for their faith, number one. Two, pray for their faith to continue. See, it wasn't just good enough for Paul that they'd already got saved at some point in the past, and he wasn't just praying for their faith today. He was praying for their faith to continue all the way to the end. The day he wanted to see them having faith was the day that Jesus Christ comes to get the church and take us home to be with him. And you'll see that theme if you pay attention. He's always praying, thank you for their faith, 
and then let's pray for their faith to continue until the day that Christ comes. And so that's, that's his pattern. Go over to Philippians chapter 1 so you can see this same pattern of how Paul thought about the people. And I hope that while I'm preaching this, you can start thinking of who are your people that are your brothers and sisters. I hope you don't just come to this church service. I hope you're a part of one of the small groups, a fellowship group, men's or women's Bible study, Thrive, Abide. There's so many different ways to get involved where the chairs aren't face forward. The chairs need to get face to face where I'm loving my one another's. And, and these are my brothers and sisters. And that's the kind of encouragement that needs to happen for every Christian. Look what he, how he thanks God for these people and then how he prays for them. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Do you see? He thinks of them, boom, he starts thanking God for them. And then when he starts thanking God for them, verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see? Right there, you see Paul's mind. I thank God that you have faith. I'm always praying for your faith. And I know that God who began a good work in you, God's going to be faithful to complete that. God's going to get you all the way to the day of Christ. Look what he says here in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, that, he said that in Romans 1, verse 9. Now he's saying it in Philippians. He's saying, I'm not one of those people that says I'll pray for you, and then I don't go pray for you. That's how a lot of Christians are these days. Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. They never go pray for their brother. Paul's saying, no, I can tell you straight from my heart, honestly, God, he knows what's in my heart. God sees me when I'm praying in that secret place. God sees my innermost thoughts. He knows the truth of who I am. God is my witness. You guys, you Philippians, you're right here in my heart. Like, I don't have to be in your presence to be thanking God for you and praying for you. Now, I got, I'm not here to judge anybody, but I am going to ask questions, and I am going to ask questions that get to your heart. Is God witness that you have your brothers and sisters in your heart? Southern California culture in going to church is such a casual acquaintance. The culture all around us is like, you go to church for what it's in it for you, and you kind of go to church as it fits for your schedule, as it fits for your family. That kind of thinking that is all around us, that is probably affecting us more than we would want to admit, that kind of casual acquaintance Christianity is not in the Bible. That's not what we're seeing here. Like, it would be common for Christians in Southern California to not really pray for their church when they're not at church. This guy, Paul, he's praying for these people all the time. He doesn't need... So this, I, what's happening here that I do want to point out, again, another good thing, surprise, surprise, is what he's bringing out, he's doing in a very pastoral way. 
right? He could, he could, if he wanted to go about it in a different way, be like, how dare you not pray for your brothers and sisters? How? I mean, he could berate you. He could. He could berate you on this point, but he doesn't. He, he approaches it in a pastoral way. He goes, look, I know the culture we live in. I know how that affects our thinking. I know that it probably affects what he said more than we even think it does. And it'd be really easy for you not to pray for your brothers and sisters all the time. And he even approaches, he even the lead up to that was, hey, I'm, I'm not here to offend or poke at you, but I am going to ask questions that are probably going to poke a little bit. And so he's leading in with, this is for your good. I'm not just coming at you to come at you. And that's a very, very pastoral way to do it. You need to be with them to pray for them. Can you say that you hold other brothers and sisters here at this church in your heart? Is God your witness that you are praying regularly for their faith to continue until the day of Christ? Or would you have to admit here this morning, yeah, I'm not really praying like that, not really praying like I should be. We gotta, we gotta ask God to search our hearts. Paul is showing us an example of encouraging other believers. Is that something that you're on a mission to do? Look, he bursts into prayer right here in verse nine. He tells them what he's praying for them. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So you'll notice when he gives us his prayer for them, there's two things that come up a lot. One is he's praying that they will love even more. And then here he gets to the second one, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of who, everybody? The day of Christ, see? What, hey, you see, in Paul's mind, love is not a sentimental feeling. Ah, oh, when I think about my brothers and sisters, I have positive vibes going in their direction because I really appreciate them and I'm thankful for them. No, in his mind, love is an action. Love is demonstrative. Love is a verb. Like, I need to love you more than I love you. See, I think it's so easy for us today. Like, do you love the people at your church? Yeah, sure, I love the people at my church. I mean, I don't hate them, so yeah, I guess I love them, right? That's not how Paul thinks about it. Like, I want to do everything I can to show my love for you, and I'm praying that your love it's not enough. I'm praying that your love will even abound more and more. Like we can't get enough of the love of one another at the church. I, I want to say this. This type of preaching, like this approach to it, this it's a very pastoral approach to the text, and it's very um, just anchored in what Paul, not only Paul in Romans, but Paul's just entire sentiment toward the church and other believers is. This type of preaching is the thing that needs to happen. And this is why, like, this is, I'm not going to keep blowing smoke up Bobby's butt here. Right. I mean, it's good. It's good preaching. We'll talk more about that at the end, but it's this type of preaching that prevents a lot of the deconstruction we see today in the church. Right. I mean, I don't know if one person I am like, I know one-on-one that's deconstructed or any deconstruction account online that doesn't mention the fact that the church is full of phonies, right? Or the church is hypocritical or the church doesn't love each other enough or the church, like there's all these problems they point out, some of them valid. But the type of thing that Bobby's preaching about here, that he's bringing out of the text that, you know, Paul's mentality toward other believers are stop gaps for all of the complaints of deconstructionist, right? And so what you have is 
just a great example of why good preaching is so important because it stands in the way and corrects in a in a pastoral manner the very things that cause people to say well this is just this christianity is just a bunch of fluff and nothingness right preaching like this that corrects and calls people to a biblical ethic and virtue to follow jesus um this is why it's important just to short of it right there paul's mindset so even if you do love somebody you're not like oh it's good we're cool we love each other no it's like what can i do to continue to show them that love what can i do to consider them to spur them on to love and good deeds i'm praying for more love among the believers because we're not done yet we haven't reached the finish line yet i'm praying that they will be pure and blameless not just today but on the day of christ when Jesus comes and we're caught up in the clouds, and so we will always be with the Lord. I want to be looking when I'm up in the clouds, and I want to be seeing that brother, that sister there with me, and I'm praying they will make it all the way to the end. Are we praying like that for one another here at Compass Bible Church? Because that's the example that Paul gives us in all these letters that he writes to the churches. He thinks that encouraging believers is just as important as his ministry of evangelizing and planting the church. He thinks encouraging them and building them up in their faith is equally essential. Go over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This is important too, what he's doing, by the way. This cross-referencing is incredibly helpful to teach believers um, not only that things are in context, which he's already set up, but that these things, these things, these teachings, these events are connected. They're, they're not just off on their own. They're, they're connected thoughts and ideas. This is it's a passage important. I have to turn you to because when I understood this passage, God used this passage to change the way that I think about life. Hebrews chapter 3, maybe you know Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, which says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay? Hebrews 3 gives that same idea that if we want our brothers and sisters to persevere, if we want them to get to the day of Christ, we got to keep encouraging them all the way there. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Watch out, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, Paul doesn't just assume, oh, they professed faith? Oh, they got baptized? Okay, then they're good to go. You're not going to find Paul thinking that. He's not assuming anything about anybody. And, and the writer of Hebrews here, he's saying the same thing. We don't know who today at this 11 o'clock service, who today has an evil, unbelieving heart sitting here among us? Who today is already in a sin that is hardening their heart and callousing them against the work of the Spirit in their life? Who here is already maybe on their way to falling away? When I understood what these verses were saying, that if I went to my brother and I encouraged him 
And I put myself into his life, and I called alongside of him, and I continued to build him up, that God could actually use me to encourage my brother, and that would be the means that God would use so that my brother would stand firm in his faith to the end. When I realized that my encouragement of other Christians was actually used by God to accomplish the perseverance of their faith, that changed my life. I realized Every small group, every partners, every meeting I have, it matters for that other person. It matters for eternity. I'll just say this. If you live in Huntington Beach or around Huntington Beach, Florida, and you don't attend a church and you're looking for one, look up Campus Bible Church, apparently pastored by Bobby Blakely, and go there. Obviously, do your research. Obviously, look at all the things you're supposed to look at. But I'm telling you right now, sounds super solid. Just saying. And that's why it's saying, you got to do this every day. Like, as long as it's called today, you only have a limited amount of time to encourage your brothers and sisters. Are you making the most of that opportunity? Now, that is, this is I've been going to church for my entire life, and I'll just tell you, most of it in Southern California... People at church in Southern California are flaky. That's just how it is. If you're in, you you know what I'm talking about? Did I say Florida? I meant California. The point is, if you're looking for, just look this guy up. That's what I mean. Talking about, if you're a part of some kind of fellowship group, let's say your fellowship group meets on Tuesday night. You guys have some kind of group text, some kind of email chain. I guarantee you, Tuesday night, 5 o'clock, 5.30 rolls around, your group text is starting to see some action, and it's not because we got prayer requests. It's not because we're throwing some scripture in there. It's because, oops, not going to make it tonight. Oh, sorry, something came up, won't be there at the fellowship. That is a common way that people think. It's like, ah, well, you know, kind of. sometimes it almost feels like a better option came up, so not going to be at the fellowship tonight, guys. Like, there's no, like, hey, I'm at home throwing up, pray for me attached to it. There's no, like, hey, I'm in Boston on business, so I'm sorry I can't make it from Boston, right? No, it's like, I'm at my house down the street. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. See, at my house, when I grew up in the Blakey house, you were not allowed to be flaky like that in the Blakey house, okay? It was like, if the church was open, if the people of God were gathering, there was no possibility of something else that would take place. My dad, Bruce, my mom, Berta, like we were going to church. There was not even another thought. Bruce and Berta and Bobby, and if he's got a brother, it's probably Billy. I'm sorry. That's not important. I just want to throw it in. There you go. It's free. That would, it's like, oh, did you hear that event that the church is happening? Yeah, what is that weird thing that the church is doing on Friday night? I don't know what it is, but the church is doing it. It starts at 7 o'clock, and we're going to be there. That's how it was. And it just so happens that growing up in a house like that, I've now become a pastor. My two brothers were all pastors at Compass Bible Churches. Wow, what do you know about that? It's not like my parents had some secret sauce recipe in their parenting. It's more like they just said, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to read the Bible. Two, we're going to go to church. Non-negotiable. That's just how life is supposed to be. Is that how your life is? I mean, we, can, we have a hard time in Southern California church culture getting the believers together two times a week. 
Like it's hard to get people to come to a service and then also go to a small group. This is saying encourage one another every single day. So we're already, we're already slacking when we only do it two days a week. Does everybody see that right there? Like this kind of encouragement is supposed to be a mindset. Oh, I'm thinking about my brother. Oh, thank you, God, for that person. Oh, Father, I pray for their faith today. I pray that when I'm standing before you in your glory, that that person will be there standing too. Father, what can I do to encourage them today? See, I'm supposed, it's not when my brothers and sisters, it's not out of sight, out of mind. No, when I'm, when I'm not with my brothers and sisters, I'm still thinking about them. I'm still considering how could I encourage them? How could I push them? How could I motivate them? How could I provoke them to more love, to more good deeds? Because it's not just enough for me that they were there last Tuesday night. I want them to be there on the day of Jesus Christ. See, and that's that family culture, right? That's not something they've just developed at this church. I mean, he talked about at the beginning. You have three people that he mentioned that are leading in that church that were there when they were teenagers. That doesn't happen by accident, right? That's a culture of family. That's a culture of people that actually care about each other. That's a culture of people that pray for one another. That's a culture of people that when you're sick or down or hurt, they are there for you in whatever way they can be, but they are there. That's not an accident. That doesn't happen by accident. And that's why a lot of churches have a rotating door of people that visit. A lot of churches feel like country clubs. A lot of churches produce a lot of non-believers that deconstruct, quote unquote, later. Why? Because we're not, again, it's not the, you have to be there. You have to volunteer. You have to do all, it's a family, right? And because we live in a culture that doesn't even understand that anymore, like what a family is, what it means to actually care and love and put others first before yourself, like that is a foreign concept to so many people. But that's how you build a healthy church. Just is. And so what can I do to encourage them? Hebrews 3, 12 uh, to 14 is teaching you that your encouragement makes a difference in God's work in other believers' lives. Are you operating like that? Are you acting like I'm on a mission to encourage people? Go back to Romans chapter 1 and let's look at the last two verses of our text. Romans 1, 11 and 12 and he has been trying to get to Rome. He can't make it to Rome. And so now he, he, he's saying again in verse 11, for I long to see you. So uh, this is the pattern of how it works. Just a review, because I want you to not just know this is what the Bible says, or this is how Paul thought. My prayer is that you will learn how to think this way. When you think of your brother or sister, one, you thank God for their faith. Two, you pray for their faith to continue. And then it goes right to, when is the next time I'm going to be able to see them? Because I want to go and see them and encourage them. And Paul just doesn't give us this pattern in Romans 1. He does it in nine of his letters. In fact, if you've got the handout there, and if you're taking notes, flip your handout over, and you'll see a book that I recommend, a really excellent resource on the back of your handout there is Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson, where he... I've said this before. Here's a great example of it. <laughs> go above... Okay, if you're a pastor, go above and beyond in giving your people resources, right? Even if you don't think a single person is going to look at it, go above and beyond at providing notes, 
and resources and materials for them because they there is somebody that wants that there's somebody that needs that there's people sitting there that don't even know that like they want to look into that or they they're interested in it but it's there and somebody's going to take advantage of that and look at it and learn something because you put a little bit extra effort into it and you want them to go deeper you want them to to have recommendations um, that are good and theologically safe and like anchored in the scripture because they're they're gonna find resources, guys. You know this, and they're probably gonna find resources that aren't that great. But if you sit there and say, "Hey, like I've read this. This ties in great with what we're talking about." If you want to look more into this, this is the book for you, right? Ah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. He takes passages like Romans one eight to twelve, and he goes through all the different prayers that Paul is praying for the believers in all his letters to the churches, and he takes you through how you could pray those same prayers. You don't even need this excellent book. If you don't want, just set aside some time and start reading through the different letters that Paul writes to the churches and look for. When does he thank God for them? What is he praying for them? This is a way that Paul is setting out as an example for us to follow. When Paul says here in Romans 1.11 that I long to see you, that word for long there is like a passion or a great desire. That is the word that is used when the baby wants the milk and the baby is longing for the milk. Do we have any parents with newborns here? Does anybody want to testify right now, right? That baby's not going to sleep until they get the milk. They're going to cry in the middle of the night. This word for long to see you is the word in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says our body right now is a tent and our body groans. It longs not to die, but for death to be swallowed up by life. Our body wants to stop being in a tent. We want to stop living in a tent and we want to have a resurrected glorified body. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one, right? Oh man, my body is like longing to be, I'm longing for that pain to go away. I'm longing to be in a better physical condition. That is the word that he uses, like a baby for milk and like somebody whose body is, is going the way of time and they long for the resurrected state. He longs to be with these people. From Acts 19.21 to Acts 28. They're going to try to kill him multiple times. He's almost going to die in a storm. He's almost he's going to get bit by a snake and miraculously survive. All to get to Rome to see these people and we can't even get in our car and drive up to church. This guy has a passion for the people of God and he really believes that if he gets to Rome that he could strengthen their faith. And not only would he strengthen their faith, but he would be encouraged by their faith and they would have this mutually encouraging experience that would build all of them up in their faith. And he is willing to put his life on the line to get to this church to see these people. Now look at these verses. Verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And when it says spiritual gift there, Sometimes people want to, they want to spiritualize that phrase in their interpretation. I've heard people say that that verse means the church in Rome doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet, and he needs to come and lay hands on them so they can receive the Holy Spirit. No, in Romans chapter 8, 
He says they already have the Spirit, so they should stop living according to the flesh, but they should walk in the Spirit and live their new life as sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. So they have the Spirit. Well, then I've heard people say, well, see, they don't have spiritual gifts yet. They don't know how to use their spiritual gifts. And so he's going to come and give them the spiritual gifts. No, in Romans chapter 12, he expects that they have spiritual gifts, and he instructs them in how to use their gifts to build up the body of Christ. So what? Do you, I mean, do you see? Oh man, this is so good. Do you see what he's doing in his sermon? He, he's coming across and saying, "Okay, here's here's a verse. This is how it's usually misused." Gives a couple examples and says, and, and doesn't prove by his own volition that those interpretations are wrong. He just goes, no, Paul has already said this in this chapter or already said this in this chapter. So that's not what it means here. So it can't mean that here. So if you hear somebody take this out of context and try to attach some spiritual thing to it, that the the examples he's already used, then you'll know that that isn't it because Paul himself has already X'd that interpretation out of possibility because he's already spoken in this chapter and this chapter about those things. This is good because, again, it's not relying on him. It's not relying on Bobby's like big brain to disprove something. He's just saying, read the, read the whole book. If you read it in context, you'll see that that's not what this means, Right? And I know like you're probably tired of hearing it and everybody already knows it or a lot of people already know it, but like context is incredibly important. It solves almost every doctrinal issue that you have or false teaching that somebody tries to perpetuate upon you. We've seen that in previous sermon reviews, right? Context fixes a lot, not all, but a lot of problems. And he just sort of slips it in there (laughs) as like, hey, Like, this is how you can prove it's not true. Just read the book. What he's saying here is just basically, if I come and I share with you my faith, I know I can strengthen your faith. And then, this is a very rare moment when Paul writes, because look at verse 12. He interrupts himself. Do you see that dash there? That is? I mean, this guy, he's the kind of guy he gives you first. He never gets to second. Like, once Paul gets going, he don't stop. But at this point, He interrupts himself because he wants to make it clear. It's not just like Paul has something to say to you so that you will be strengthened. No, he wants to make it. That is, that we'll both be strengthened. Because I'll, I'll encourage your faith, and you, with your faith, will encourage my faith. So he believes that when believers get together, and you share what's going on in your heart, you share your faith in the Lord, and the other believer responds, and they share their faith, that that is mutually encouraging, that it builds up everybody involved in that. He's just talking about basic encouragement here that strengthens our faith, and he wants to get to Rome, and he wants to encourage them, and he believes that they can encourage him too. Let me ask you, a question. It's a personal question. For those of you who've been here for maybe a long time, as long as you can remember me, over nine years ago, do you believe that any other Christian at this church could encourage you? Or do you honestly believe in your heart that you know more than a lot of these other Christians, and so they probably don't have much to offer you? Because I've heard a lot of believers basically express like, yeah, why would I go to that fellowship group? Like, I'm not sure those believers are really on my level. I have flat out heard people say that. 
Like, I don't need to go to that fellowship group. I could teach that fellowship group. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, when does any Christian get above the level of brother to another bro? When does any Christian get on some higher plane where you're beyond encouragement and that person can't encourage you? I'll tell you what, when I talk to new Christians, which I have the privilege of talking to on a regular basis, talking to new believers, they're some of the best conversations that I have. Like new believers, they haven't learned how it really works yet. And they're, you talk to a new believer, they'll just be like, so yesterday I told this person they should believe in Jesus. And then I told my boss at work that they should believe in Jesus. And then I told my great aunt who really doesn't like me how much she needs Jesus in her life. And this person has not been rejected yet. They haven't been beaten down. Like they just love Jesus. They just know Jesus saved them. And they just want everybody in the world to know it. And they don't know, no, the world's gonna hate you. The world's gonna come after you. They're gonna persecute you. They're gonna reject you. They don't even know it yet. So encouraging to talk to a new believer. I remember one day I was talking to a new believer. One thing I do, I want to point out real quick, because I know he's going on. Uh, just so you guys have an idea, it's 40 minutes into this sermon, so we got about 20 minutes left, give or take, how many times I break in here. Um, but, like, what he on the pastoral side of preparing sermons, right? Because that's all I can offer you here. Like, this sermon is great. There's nothing to correct. Sermon building, what he's done, though, a number of times. This is just another example of this. The Brad story at the beginning was uh, the first example of this. But what he does is he brings up the verse, and then he just slips in a story that makes it very personal, right? Usually by way of question, seems to be kind of how he does it. So he'll bring up the mutual encouragement, ask you a question that, that he knows is probably going to poke you, but he does it in a pastoral way. So he'll bring up and be like, hey, Paul is, wants to be mutually encouraged by the Romans. Do you feel like you could be mutually encouraged by everyone here? Or do you think sometimes you put yourself higher? Well, let me tell you like about these new believers that know virtually nothing and I'm incredibly encouraged by them. So like don't ever get the idea in your head that you can't be encouraged. And so it's this really soft rebuke to believers that maybe have let themselves get into that mindset, but he does it in such a pastoral way that he exegetes the scriptures, brings in the application, and he does it very gently to rebuke and encourage, depending on who is listening and you know where they're at in their walk. It's just a, a great... He's obviously been doing this a long time, but that's something I think as if you're looking as a pastor on how to get better at speaking... Um, and communicating to your people and empathizing with them and really kind of driving your point home, but not in a in your face, beat you in the face with this like point sort of way. That right there is a great, I mean, learn from that. He's been doing it obviously a long time and it is, his pattern is very repeatable and it's very applicable. And he was like, so last night I didn't know what to do. So I read the book of Matthew. That book is awesome. I was like, wait a minute, you read the entire book of Matthew last night? Man, I didn't know half the stuff that Jesus does in there. Jesus, did you know how amazing Jesus is? Jesus, he's like the boss. I'm like, when was the last time you heard a mature believer say they read the book of Matthew one night? You see what I mean? Like, Paul, Paul has a strong conviction. He's willing to put his life on the line. He's willing to go across the planet. Put me in the same place with other believers and we will build one another up. Do we know Paul the evangelist? Do you know Paul the encourager? He didn't just plant churches. He went around to those churches and he made sure that the, that the souls of the disciples were strengthened. 
and he wanted to encourage them to continue in the faith. He said through many tribulations, that's what it's going to take for us to enter the kingdom. We got to keep going till the day of Christ. See, this is why you can't miss that group on Tuesday night. This is why you can't flake on your Bible study. This is why you can't blow off that one-on-one -on -one meeting you've got with another brother and sister. Because when you go to those things, you are on a mission to bring your faith to encourage them, trusting that you will be mutually encouraged by their faith. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at another one of his letters. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I just want you to see that this is a way that Paul thought and he thought this way, and he wasn't just this way with one church, with his own church, or whatever church he was at at the time. I mean, Paul was actually this way with multiple churches at the same time. He wasn't just praying for his own small group or his own church. He was praying for that church over there in Idaho and that church over there in the hill country, and he, he's praying for, for churches all over the place that he knows believers at. Maybe you know the story in Acts, how he went to Thessalonica, and he went there, and he he preached the gospel, and when he preached the gospel in that city, there was a strong response of repentance and faith. Like these people, the gospel, it, it blew up. It went off there in that city, and this church, they had such a great beginning, but if you know the story, in Acts 17, they, the Jews come and they chase Paul out of town. So the church got off to a great start, but before he was ready to leave, he got run out of town. He had to flee for his life. And so he says, look back at chapter 2, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, but since we were torn away from you. So you see, he says, but brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. There it is again. I can't believe I had to leave. I have this great desire to come back and to see you. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Do you realize that when you flake on going to that fellowship group, that's exactly what Satan wants you to do? Do you realize that Satan wants believers split up? He wants them divided. He wants us separated and isolated. And when, when Paul says, I got run out of town when they were persecuting me, he attributes that to the work of Satan, keeping him from encouraging those new believers. And so look what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. It's like it's this burden. It's like it's this pressure upon him. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, he says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Right there in verse 2, those are the same two Greek words as Romans 1, uh, 11 and 12. To establish or to strengthen you and to exhort or to encourage you. See, he's like, I can't come to town. It's still too hot. They're still looking for me. They're still coming after me. So I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy, his true disciple, his son in the faith, his right-hand man. He sends Timothy because he has to find out how the Thessalonians are doing in their faith. He says, I would rather send Timothy to find out about your faith than keep Timothy with me to strengthen my faith. Maybe you know the story when Paul is preaching in Athens at the Areopagus, and he is there by himself. It's very rare for Paul to be by himself. He's always got a crew. He's always got traveling companions, ministry partners. Why was he by himself in Athens? Because he had to send Timothy to find out, are those Thessalonians still believing in Jesus? Are they continuing in the faith? I, I know I've said this over and over again, but this, this is just key, is that 
one of the questions we ask is that, you know, is context given, right? Is that, is that the idea, right? So this is why we say, do, you, do, they read this, do they read the passage? Do they read the scripture? The second question is, do they exegete the scriptures in context and culture? The reason that is a second question, and the reason that that's so important, is because it lays the foundation of how you understand the scripture and what is going on in the passages that you're reading or that are being read. And not only does he just establish the context at the beginning here and give us that, because that's unfortunately not normal, but that's what we're looking for at least, is that, that you have some context established at the beginning. He's woven that all the way through this teaching to where even now, I mean, we're 45 minutes into the sermon, he's still including context. Hey, do you know why Paul is by himself here? It's because he sent Timothy to check on the Thessalonians. And why does he care about the Thessalonians? Well, he cares about them because, and then that ties into his overall point here, right? It's those little things that not only demonstrate that that Bobby cares about the scripture, that he knows this, he knows the scripture, but he doesn't, it's not that he just knows it. You can tell that he loves the scriptures. He cares for you to know and love the scriptures. And in doing so, he's taking careful care to, to demonstrate to you what they mean and what's going on and why that's happening. Right? This chef's kiss. I can't like what, what more good things can I say about this? But this, this is, you can see it in the sermon building. See, do you ever feel this burden that Paul is expressing here? Like, wow, how many days has it been since I've seen my bro? How many, how long has it been since I fellowshiped with that brother or sister in Christ? I wonder how they're doing. And when's the next time I'm going to see them? I, I got to give them a call. I, I got to send him a text. I got to find out how are they really doing? He is going crazy because he doesn't know what's going on with the Thessalonians. Has persecution come? Have they fallen away? Look what he says in verse five. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. He says, I couldn't bear it. I had to send Timothy. And it was brutal when Timothy was gone. I was going through a hard time. But when Timothy came back, and he gave me that praise report. He said, you are standing firm in your faith. In fact, you want to see me as much as I want to see you. Do you see how Paul was encouraged by the Thessalonians' faith? In fact, look at verse 8. I don't know if you're familiar with 1 Thessalonians 3.8, but here's Paul saying, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul says, life's worth living because of the faith of the Thessalonians. I don't know what metric you're using to evaluate your life. I don't know what standard makes you think that your life is going well or it's going poorly. When you put your head down on the pillow at the end of the day, what in your mind is a good day? In Paul's mind, real living is seeing his brothers and sisters keep living for Jesus. That's a good day for Paul. Is that how you're evaluating your life? 
that God has saved me. He saved my brothers and sisters. We're a family. We're in fellowship. We are the church. And one thing I want to do is I want to make sure these people reach the finish. I'm not just here to make the finish line myself. I want to bring my brothers and sisters with me to the end, to the day of Christ. That's real living, says Paul. Is that a goal that you are striving for? And then look, right here in verse 9, you can see the pattern of Paul's thinking play out again. He's going to go right to it. Thanksgiving. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for you, your sake before our God. And after he thanks God, what does he going to go right to? As we pray that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Boom. Now he's got the Thessalonians on his mind again. He thanks God for them. He prays for them. He wants to see them. He wants to build up their faith. You gotta learn how to thank God for your brothers and sisters. You gotta learn how to pray for them. And when it's time for you to go to the fellowship, to go get chairs face to face, we're gonna look in each other's eyes. We're gonna talk about what's the word put on your heart. Here's what the word is put on my heart. You gotta go like you are on a mission of encouragement, that you are there to build up the church. This could have easily been, and thankfully it's not, <laughs> this could have easily been uh, a harpy harp on session about why you should attend small groups, right? You guys need to be discipleshiped and a disciple. And the only way you can be disciples is if you're attending a discipleship groups. So you better get to those discipleship groups because that's the only way it's going to happen. And you really like, he's building up the body and really telling them like the why, right? Why are these important? Why does it matter? Right? Why? And he's addressed specifically, right? This Southern or I think he said the Southern California culture uh, encourages you at most to do like a Sunday service. And then it's a real stretch to do a second one. And he's like, I'm not, he's like, by scriptural standards, we're slacking here. Like, are we praying for each other? Are we encouraging one another? Are we looking at other Christians this way? Are we like, he's giving the why and not just for the benefit of like numbers or small groups or growing the church by X amount by whatever date, right? Um, it's, it's for the benefit of the believers. I mean, he just said, like, I, I want to get to the finish line, but I want you all to come too. <laughs> like, I want, I want to make sure you're, you're here doing that, running after Jesus with me. And thankfully, this isn't an, you know, an eisegetical sermon about, you know, well, he could have made it eisegetical a number of times here, but he stuck with the text over and over again. This isn't a works-based salvation, works-based come to the small group sermon. It said, do you know what you're missing? Do you see what, what Paul is, is encouraging them onto here? Do you see his heart in all of these scriptures about fellowship and encouragement? Like that's, that's the way he's coming at it. And why is he coming at it that way? Because that's the way that Paul is presenting it in scripture. I mean, we got, we got uh, roughly 15 minutes left because it's actually an hour and four minute sermon. I tricked you at the beginning. It's an hour and four minute sermon. Um, so we do have like 15 minutes left. There's so much to really just praise and break down here. I want to let him finish. We'll see if I break in again, but I wanted to demonstrate that to you, right? This could have easily been a beat you over the head session about why you should participate. It's not that. It's a, it's a, do you see what scripture is saying here and how Paul is saying like, this is a needed and necessary thing for believers. And it should be like a welling up in our hearts to want to be with one another. And if it's not like, why is it not? Do we not see it the way that the, that the Christians 
saw it then? Do we not see other believers the same way Paul does? And if we don't, like, why don't we see it that way? And he's broken all that down. All that to say, let's finish out here and then we'll look at it. And looking at Paul's example, it's not like you're just doing it at one church. You're praying for multiple churches. You got your brother and they moved over here and this sister, she moved over there. And so you're praying for all kinds of people all over the place because you want to see them on the day of Christ. Is this what you're doing in your free time, in your spare time in your head? When you have a moment and you're driving, instead of getting mad at the other people on the freeway, are you praying for your brothers and sisters in the faith? I'm going to ask everybody here, I'm going to give you a specific church that I'm going to ask you to pray for. It's Megumi Bible Church in Tokyo, Japan. That's Megumi, M-E-G-U-M-I Bible Church in Tokyo, Japan. Here's a church I would like to introduce you to, and they really need your prayers at this time. And it starts in Huntington Beach, where we have a young lady at our church named Rosie, and we have now sent her out, our first full-time missionary, sent out from our church in Huntington Beach, and she has gone to Megumi Bible Church in Tokyo. So this young lady, Rosie, she's been a part of our church. She's a part of our encouragement team, our welcome team at the church, and she went on a trip to Japan, and she started teaching English classes while she was there in Japan, and through her testimony in these English classes, she led people to faith, to repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, this young lady was baptized through this ministry. And so now we've sent her to go partner with Megumi Bible Church in Tokyo. So this lady, Rosie, she's the kind of encourager that I'm talking about. We brought her up in front of our church, a lot of people in a big room just like this, uh, not as big as this yet, but we brought her up in front of our church and we asked everybody in the church, pray for Rosie. We're going to send her out. She's going to Tokyo. And I asked, if Rosie's ever come up and talked to you and tried to get to know you and welcomed you and encouraged you here at our church, will you raise your hand? Over half of our church raised their hand that they had a personal conversation of encouragement with this one young lady in our church. The perfect person for us to now send to this church in Tokyo to encourage them. Now, I don't know if you know what it's like Christianity in Japan, but the, J Tokyo, Japan is the most populated city area on planet Earth. Okay, just to put it in perspective, in the general city of Tokyo, in that general area, there are over 39 million souls. Okay, LA County is the biggest county we have in all of America, 10 million souls. Orange County, the sixth biggest county in America, over 3 million souls. So you'd have to combine all of L.A. County and all of Orange County and times that by three just to get to Tokyo, Japan. So this church that I'm asking you to pray for, Megumi Bible Church, it has 40 people in it. And if you ask them, they think they're a big church for Japan. Like that's how Christianity is over there. And when Rosie went, like days after Rosie gets there, before she, she moved there to be a part of this church, and, and days after she gets there, they find out that their main preaching pastor is in sin and is disqualified from the ministry. And so now this church of 40 people is reeling, and their faith is being tested. 40 people, it's, if this church doesn't make it through this crisis that they're going through right now, 
It's not like there's another church down the street that Rosie could go and partner with. It's not like there's a lot of Bible-preaching, gospel-reaching, loving people churches in Japan, much less in Tokyo, where there are 39 million souls that need Jesus. Will you join me in praying for those people there at Megumi Bible Church? I'm going to go there this week. I've never been to Tokyo, but I can see that they need some encouragement, and so I'm going to go there. Will you pray that I can strengthen their faith and that this church will continue, that it will continue all the way till the day of Christ, and that they will grow and reach more souls in Tokyo? This is the kind of prayer that we need to be doing for believers, not just at our church, but all over the world. I want to leave you with Ephesians chapter 4. Will you go to Ephesians? Real quick, I mean, so one of the things that I can appreciate without even actually, obviously, knowing Bobby is how many pastors, like, let's just be real, right, would either spend their own money or obviously the church may be paying for this ticket regardless. The point being, how many pastors would fly literally across the world to go encourage 40 people. Not a lot of people, right? Not a lot of pastors would go fly across the world to encourage 40 people. Do they just win it? And so not only does Bobby preach it, he seems to live it out, right? There's some pastors that won't even go to, go to speak at a church if it's only got 40 people because that's not enough people, right? And that's in America here. Right. There's been pastors I know turned down guest preaching things because it wasn't enough people. Right. And so what we see here is really Bobby being a living example to the people he's preaching to, saying, like, I this this isn't just words for me. This is this is real. I'm gonna fly across the world to go just encourage, just encourage these 40 people that have been rocked by this. That's that's admirable. It's chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. So this is Paul's basic mindset. Look, I'm thinking of the believers in Rome. One, I thank God for them. Two, I start praying for their faith to continue. Three, how can I see them? How can I strengthen them and encourage them? And this isn't just for Paul. This is for all, okay? In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it says that God gives pastor teachers to the church and it's the pastor teachers to equip the saints, all of God's saved ones, for the work of ministry. And then at the end of that passage, it says, you shouldn't stay immature. Don't get tossed around in your faith. You need to grow up. And look what it says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that is all of us, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, who builds the church? Well, Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and nobody's going to stop Jesus from building his church. Acts 20, 32 says that God and the word of his grace are able to build us up. So yes, it's through Jesus saving people. It's through the preaching of the word. But according to these two verses right here, let me ask you a question here today. Who builds the church of Jesus Christ? The answer is I do. You do. 
You can call me Bob the Builder if you want. I'm cool with it. Right, let's go. Okay, let's get this down for point number three. We are all called to build up the church of Jesus. Point number three, you want to build their faith with the Word. Build their faith with the Word. That's what we need you to do. We need you to be thinking, okay, I've got that partners meeting. I, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you could think about this week. When are you going to meet with other believers this week? How are you going to go encourage people every day this week? And when you go to that meeting, can, can you do me a favor? Uh, can, I mean, can you do all the pastors here at your church a, a favor? Like, people come to me all the time in Huntington Beach. How can I serve the church? And what they want is a name tag to wear. They want a specific place, a specific time, a specific task. And we need a lot of people to serve the church to make church happen. But you know what I say to every single person who asks me, how can I uh, serve the church? I say, here's the number one main thing I need you to do. I need you to go to your fellowship group, and I need you to show up prepared to share. I need you to go to your fellowship group with something on your heart, with those people on your heart, with something you heard from the Word. If it's a Bible study, what were you studying in the Scripture? I mean, the amount of people that show up at a group, even the people who don't flake, and they actually get there, we, it's like, hey, we've all heard this sermon now. We've all done this Bible study now. We all knew that we were going to be here at this day, at this time. So who's ready? Who's got something to say? And it's like, silence. Have you been to that fellowship group before? It's like all of a sudden there's a cricket playing a violin in the corner of the room. And the silence is very loud. This is our moment to get together as brothers and sisters in Christ to build each other up. And it's like we completely forgot why we're even here. It's like we're, so many people are waiting for the leader of the group to do something. No, the leader of the group is over there praying, God, please cause the people in my group to do something. <laughs> like you are the church. The church doesn't get built by itself, no, without you. You are the church that builds itself up. You are the builder. And when you hear a sermon like this, I tell you what, you go to your group this week and you say, hey, you know how we talked about Romans 1, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, and how we're supposed to be praying for one another? Yeah, I got to admit, I haven't been doing that for this group. You want to have a real fellowship group? Just walk in and say, you know what? I, I was convicted this week that I realized there's a way that I should be loving you guys, and I haven't been loving you guys that way. Will you guys please forgive me for that? That will be, all it takes is one person speaking what is true in a genuine love for other people, and you'll start having fellowship right there. It takes one person being honest. You know what? I, I realize that th I can remember times in my life where I thanked God for my brothers and sisters, but honestly, I just, I haven't been doing that lately, and so Will you guys pray for me that I'll get back to being thankful to God for saving people here? Because it's awesome that I get to be a part of this group, and I have been taking you guys for granted. If somebody shows up and says something like that, now we're going to have some real fellowship. You should, not, you should be offended by the silence. It should not be acceptable to you that we show up here and we aren't bursting forth from our hearts like I've got something to strengthen you. And I know as I speak about what God's teaching me in my faith, and I hear what you're saying about God teaching you in your faith, there's going to be encouragement. There's going to be mutual. I cannot even communicate how many times I've been going to some fellowship group on Tuesday night or Thursday. I know I'm interrupting him, but like, do you, do you hear the, the pastoral heart here? 
of like, hey, that silence shouldn't be acceptable, right? Like there's this desire, like just be honest, just be open, like have real true fellowship in that. I mean, there, oh man, if we had more pastors, right? I mean, there's a reason there's qualifications for pastors, by the way, right? One of them able to teach and Oftentimes we think that is like not like able to teach knowledge, right? Which it, it is, it is. There, there's a point in which you have to communicate ideas in ways that are understandable. That's a hundred percent, but just also teach like this, like high school teacher esque, right? Like, Hey guys, here's the problem. Here's the solution. You like, you know what it is. Just do it. Right. I mean, he's, he's, he's building it up. He's encouraging them. There's a slight rebuke here, but like, it's, it's super soft, like, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. And it has not been a good day, and I'm tired, and I'm thinking maybe it would be better to go home. I'm exhausted right now, but I know how important encouragement is, and I go to that fellowship group, and I share with my brothers and sisters, and they share with me. And hours later, in, when it's much later in the night, when I finally am driving home, I'm more awake, I'm more alive, I'm more fired up, because I experienced real fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the church. If that's ever happened to you, leave a like. 100% that has happened a number of times, right? Hopefully, oh, I hope that's happened for you, right? Where you're exhausted and then you have this conversation with another believer or you have fellowship with uh, multiple believers and then you leave and you're like, wow, I was tired before? Like, I'm not gonna be able to go to sleep now. Right? I, I, I pray that has happened to you, that you have that ability because man, there's nothing like it. Nothing like Christian fellowship, like what he's talking about church being built up. Are you a part of building the church? Because this guy, Brad, that I was telling you about earlier, over the years in Huntington Beach now, this guy has matured. He's encouraged so many people. We finally gave him a full-time job. He is the Compass Connect director. We are now paying this guy full-time to spiritually stalk as many people as he possibly can. And to, and to welcome them, encourage them if they're a Christian, share the gospel with them if they're not. And so Brad, right now in Huntington Beach, right after our service in Huntington Beach, he's going to be teaching a foundations class, and he's going to be welcoming new people to the church and making sure we're all standing on the gospel. And, and, and he's going to, he does this thing when he teaches this class, and the first time he did it, 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 it hit me. He said, you know, most people that I meet have the wrong idea of church. When they go to church, they want it to be in a nice building, they want to see a nice sign with the name of the church on the side, and they want it to be landscaped on the outside. When they come inside, they want everything to be feng shui in the church. And when they come to church, they're thinking, what can this church do for me? What, what is this church going to do for my family? How is this church going to bless me? And then Brad, literally, he got out a hard hat, and he put it on his head, and he said, that is the wrong way to think about church. When you go to church, you're not going to a place that is already built. You're going to a place that is being built you are walking into a construction zone and there is danger there because even some of the people at church might have an evil, unbelieving heart and they might fall away from the faith. And if you don't go and encourage them and build them up, you're, we're not asking you to join our church so we can bless you. We're asking you, we need help building. Will you please come and be one of the builders and put a hard hat on us and, and on with us and let's go and encourage somebody. That goes completely against the commercial-driven, uh, you know, survey-taking, did we do a good job this Sunday, church? 
spits in its face because that entire methodology is is silly on its face. And Brad knows it, apparently, and that's why Brad is teaching a class. <laughs> when he said that, that resonated with me. There are so many people asking what their church can do for them, and they are not showing up to say, I believe Jesus is building something, and I want to build it too. Are you, do you have your hard hat on here at Compass Bible Church? Are you just going to church, or are you actually building the church? Paul, he, he, you watch when you go through Acts. This guy's going to almost die at least three separate times. That's how much he wants to encourage these people. How badly do you want to encourage your brothers and sisters? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we really need your help because the the culture all around us, the Southern California church culture, the way that we are, we're just so casual. It's so easy for us to miss that meeting, to reschedule that appointment, to, to not go to that group this week, to not, to not do that work for that Bible study or not answer those questions for the fellowship group. And then there we are just sharing the same old stories over and over again, not really being built up ourselves not really going to build up our one and others. Father, I pray that you would put it on our hearts here today through Paul's example in Romans 1, 8 to 12, that we are the church and we need to build one another up, that there needs to be encouragement for every single Christian, and that when we go and we speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters, that not only do we encourage them in their faith, but the encouragement is mutual. And as we see their faith, it builds us up too. That we need not less, but more love. We don't need less time together. We need more time together. So Father, I pray for everybody here that this week, they would apply this word that we have heard, that they would go and be a doer, and they would build this church. We know Jesus is building his church. We know he's taken this one church and Aliso Viejo, and he spread it to Huntington Beach, and Tustin, and Idaho, and Texas. We know Jesus is doing it. Father, I pray that we would be doing it, that we would be going to see that brother, that sister, that we don't want to fall away, that we would let them know how much we care about them, that we would speak the truth to them in love. Put that on our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What? Oh my goodness. I don't even I don't I don't even think I don't even think I have to go through the points. Do I do I have to even go through the points? Yes, he read the scripture. He read multiple scriptures. He did cross-reference of the scriptures to prove the scriptures. He brought out context and culture throughout the entire thing. And he preached the gospel. It wasn't a strong gospel presentation, but again, who you you got a real sense of who he was talking to. He's already talking to believers. You don't need to hear the gospel one more time. You need to apply the gospel. You need to go out and do the gospel. So I guess in the end of the day, did he? I don't want to. I don't want to give him a give me. I don't think he mentioned the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't think he mentioned that. It was implied. 
by the fact that he assumed he was talking to believers and that those believers already knew the gospel, right? He, he mentioned it that in Romans 1, the intro, the gospel's already included there. He talked about Brad teaching the class, mentioning that the foundation has to be the gospel. So like he talks about the gospel, but he's assuming when he's talking to this church, this is a church full of unbeliever people that need to hear about Jesus dying for your sins. You know that. What you need to do is apply that. So I don't want to give him a give me. I don't think he necessarily preached the gospel, but the the assumption was there. And given the strength of the, su- the sermon, um, that is 100% good enough. If you are anywhere near a Compass Bible Church that is pastored by a pastor, Bobby Blakely, and I'm sure he's probably a humble enough dude that he doesn't even want me saying this if he ever sees it, but go there. 100% go there. Man, that was good stuff. See, this is one of the reasons that I like to do both good and bad sermons, right? It's really easy to tear apart a sermon, super easy to find some lunatic loony out here and just destroy and decimate everything they say by context. And yeah, some people like that. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it is fun to do that because it proves a point. Man, but these these good sermons, if you if you got all the way through it and that that encouraged you, that convicted you, that drove you to 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 want to pursue Jesus more and tell other people about Jesus more, hit that like button. Oh my goodness gracious. Hopefully this was a this is something worth sharing. Maybe not this sermon review, but if you go down in the description below, the link to this sermon will be down there. You can just watch the whole sermon without my commentary and share that with somebody. Whew. Let me know what you think, and I'll talk to you again next week.